Welcome to all those joining us for the Shir today in Shari Chesed. Today is the 24th day of Teves, which is the yard site of the Balatanya, the originator of Chabad Chasidus, Reb Shneir Zalman, Bered Boruch of Liadi. And we know that our Rebbe, Rabbi Nachman, referred to him as a Sar Ho'elef, a, a, a general of thousands. In fact, there was once a time that Rabbeinazal questioned him, they were together, and he asked him, is it true that they say that you have 80,000 students? So the Balatanya said to him, many of my students are teachers, and they have students, and they give their students pushkas to be able to collect money for Eretz Yisrael. The Balatanya was one of the leaders outside of Eretz Yisrael who supported the, the religious people in Israel at the time that had tremendous struggles. So he said, the kids put pennies into the pushka. Probably if they're putting money into my pushka, they're not going to be against me in any way. So I consider them my chasidim. They're my chasidim. But in any case, Rabbi Nezal used that terminology as a show of, of respect, major respect. Now, number one, Rabbi Nezal, Rabbi Nachman said that as a child, one of the things that inspired him and motivated him to really want to excel in life was hearing stories of tzaddikim. That person hears stories of genuinely righteous people, <clears throat> it's very healthy, very inspiring and motivating, especially for children <clears throat> who have a certain purity and simplicity and sincerity. Sometimes just hearing the right story, hearing how good people behave, is better than having to correct a child a hundred times, don't do this, don't do that. They hear the story, it's, it sounds beautiful, and a person says, I, I'd like to be like that also. However, when telling stories of tzaddikim, there is a certain caution, because especially from the time of the Baal Shem Tov and his followers, there were many authors that wanted to sell books, <clears throat> and they knew that stories sell, and some of them, the, the, the way it's described, some of them, some of the stories that appear in these books, we don't know if it was said after the fourth cup or after the fifth cup. And therefore, we're not sure of the legitimacy. Rabbi Nezal said that the, the Sefer Shvoche Habal Shem Toiv, that was put together by Reb Gedali Milinitz, the stories there, we know that they are a hundred, you know, authentic. And he said that many of the stories written about the Baal Shem Toiv, if they aren't accurate, we know that he was capable of it. He was on such an incredible high level that the things that they said about him, he certainly was capable of, of showing. <clears throat> but the stories that we're going to tell today are from a Sefer, Siach Sarfei Koidish. This is a Sefer, it's actually a set of Sforum that came out maybe 20 years ago approximately by a person by the name of Reb Avraham Weitzhandler, Zichron Levrocha. He passed away about 10 years ago, not, not an old man. <clears throat> And the, this set of Sfarim was a compilation based on the shiurim of Reb Levi Yitzchak Bender, who was one of the most respected authorities in Breslov in the previous generation. He was a person who came to Breslov as a teenager, I believe, or, or, or you know, maybe 20s, and a tremendous Talmud Chacham with an incredible memory, very good memory. And he was able, he, he accumulated many of the traditions of Breslov, many of the stories while he was in Uman, and, and he was a tremendous source of information 
based on everything he had seen and heard. When he came to Eretz Yisrael, he gave shiurim, and his, his style of shiurim was he liked to read from the book. No embellishments. The books themselves are good enough. They, they, they're, they're, don't, don't need any additions or additions. <coughs> However, once in a while, something would trigger him mentioning a story, stories of tzaddikim that he heard that were related to what he was learning. And when people saw that he knew these stories, and this is what they enjoyed immensely, they would try to pressure him and trick him into all kinds of ways to get him to tell over stories, you know, about things that he saw and heard. And there were many cassettes. In those days, it was audio cassettes of these discussions. When they'd walk with him in the street, they'd keep a tape recorder on because they knew that every once in a while he would tell some of these stories. However, because these things were done in the street, sometimes the sound wasn't clear. And when this set of books came out originally, there were inaccuracies. There were people that mentioned that there are definitely things that are inaccurate, and there weren't sources sometimes to really be able to show clearly where this comes from, that kind of thing. He passed away at a relatively young age. One of his sons, a tremendous Talmud Chacham, felt bad that his father had produced something which was 80% or 85% accurate, and yet in Breslau people were cautious, people didn't, they weren't willing to, to delve into, to spend a lot of time on something that they know is 85% accurate. So the son undertook a project with a team of people to go through every line for line in that, those forum and get all the sources, go over the, the, the cassettes again carefully and make corrections, the corrections that needed to be made and provide sources for, for just about every quotation <clears throat> that came from other places which could be sourced, other books, other authors, etc. And this is the new Seer Sarfei Kodesh, which came out recently, six volumes, I believe, incredibly well done, very, very well reviewed and, and, and critiqued, and, and, all, and all the bibliography showing all the sources that could be shown. Now recently, because of the generation that we live in, that people's attention spans are usually 30 seconds and le or less, <clears throat> so everything needs to be short, but per six volumes, one volume, who's going to read a book? <clears throat> so recently, many people have started doing excerpts that when there comes a holiday, let's say Pesach, people want to know, I'd like to see what this rabbi writes about Pesach. Can you, call, can you gather it together and give it to me? 10 pages, 20 pages that I could look at <clears throat> and I could share with my family or on the Parsha of the Week or things like that. So now for the site of the Balatanya, he, he put together a compilation, 25 pages, of stories related to the Balatanya that in, in his interaction with Rabbi Nachman, with Bresler. And many of these stories have important messages, you know, things that we could benefit from. I gave a shir last night in Ramat Beit Shemesh that covered the first half of this, and we'll try now to cover as much as we can of additional insights, you know, additional information on this. <clears throat> the Balatanya traveled from the city Ladi that he was in towards the end of his life to the city of Tulchin, where one of the, one of the grandsons of the Baal Shem Tov, Reb Baruch Mezhebush, was there. This Reb Baruch Mezhebush, there's a lot written about him that his, his nature was very strict. 
We know we have this in the Gemara. We have different rabbis that have different reputations. The Gemara speaks about Beishamai Beishillel, both giants, giants tzaddikim, opposite natures, very different natures. <coughs> the Gemara says that there was once a convert that came to Beishamai and wanted to ask a question, and he asked it in a certain way, and he said, get out of here, get lost. And the same convert went to Beishillel. Beishillel answered question after question after question, and this convert became one of the righteous converts in Klal Yisrael. He's this spoken about in the Gemara. And there's a lot of discussion about this. This Reboruch Meshbush was known as being tremendous kapton, very strict, very tough. What, what his opinion was, that was law, period, non-negotiable. And there was a dispute between the Balatanya and Reboruch regarding monies that were being sent to Eretz Yisrael to support the rabbis there. And it was something that picked up momentum because it was especially, it started outside of Eretz Yisrael among the people that raised the monies and sent it, <clears throat> and it spilled over even a little bit in Eretz Yisrael, unfortunately. Even in Eretz Yisrael, there were some disagreements about who should be in charge and how it should be done. And Rabbi Nezal commented on this and said that unfortunately, part of it, part of the issues was elements of covoid respect that people felt that they deserved the greater respect and, and, and they deserved to be the authorities over how this should be done, etc. And one time, after, after Rabbi Nezal, when, when he was in Eretz Yisrael, one of the great rabbis there, Rabbi Avram Kalisker, pleaded with him to, to get involved and to see if he could help the situation, to see if he could possibly work out an agreement between Rabbi Avram Kalisker, who was in Eretz Yisrael at the time, and the Balatanya. And Rabbi Nezal, when he returned from Eretz Yisrael, before he went home, he traveled to where the Balatanya was to meet with him to see if he could try to make things better. And unfortunately, he said he wasn't successful. It, it wasn't resolved. But one of the major players in this was Reboruch Mezhebush, who was very much opposed to the Balatanya in this issue. And the Balatanya made a trip. He wanted to go to see Reboruch to see if he could improve the relationship, to see if he could improve the situation. <clears throat> Traveling there, he passed through some of the famous cities that Rabbi Nachman and his students were in, Teplik, Haisin, Ladizhin, and Breslov, because that's, these are the cities that you pass traveling from where the Balatanya was to where Reboruch was. So the Balatanya, one of the cities was Tulchin, which is one of the cities which Reboruch Mezhebush, even though he lived in Mezhebush, he was considered a rabbi and an authority in a number of other cities that he would travel to during the year. He would spend a month in Tulchin and a month in one of the other cities, I don't recall the name right now, and he would do Magidus there. He would speak, he would try to inspire and motivate the people during that time that he was in that city. So now he stopped off in Breslov, <clears throat> and Rabbi Nezal showed him tremendous respect, and he said to his students, show respect to this leader of thousands. And at that time, one of the wealthy people in Breslov, Moshe Chinkis, was present at the time. He was one of two or three people who invited Rabbi Nachman to come to the city of Breslov, and they said, we are going to support you. We are going to guarantee your salary. And he did, and he was known to be wealthy. 
So they were sitting at the table together, the Balatanya, Rabbi Nachman, and this Moshe Chinkis, and Rabbi Nachman said, give tzedakah to a true Talmud Chacham. And he was referring to the fact that the Balatanya was one of the people in charge of sending money to the support the poor people in Eretz Yisrael. So Moshe Chinkis heard this from Rabbi Nachman. He took out a rendel. A rendel would be possibly something like a hundred dollar bill in those days. He took out a rendel and put it on the table. Rabbi Nezal looked at him and said, that's what you give to a real Talmud Chacham? Eh! You know, he wasn't impressed. So Moshe Chinkis took out another rendel. $200. And he understood still that Rabbeinazar was looking disappointed, took out a third rendel. And this continued until he took out 10 rendlech, the equivalent of, let's say, $1,000 or, or more maybe, maybe more by today's, t- today's amounts. Then Rabbeinazar took the corner of his garment with his fingers and push the money because it's written that Rabbeinazal preferred not to handle money with his hands. He didn't want to touch money. So he took the corner of his garment with his hands and used it to shove the coins over to, to the Balatanya and said, and, and the Balatanya took it, accepted it. And he continued to Tulchim. Rabbi Nachman accompanied him, accompanied him out of the city of Breslov Walked, walked with him, or in his, I'm sorry, in his wagon, till they got outside the city. And Rabbi Nachman's students saw this, they also accompanied him. We know that when a person has a guest, there are three major responsibilities for the host. Achila, Shtia, and the third one is? The third one is Lina, Lina to provide food for the guests, drink for the guests, and make sure they have a place to sleep. And there are some that say that the Lamed is Levoya, Levoya, that you don't, you don't say goodbye, you accompany the guest at least to the door, at least to the door, and if it's a Talmud Chachm or something, you take it further. Here Rabbi Nachman showed a level of respect. He went with him outside, all the way outside the city, and sat with him, and, and the other students were there also. Now, the Balatanya, unfortunately, had spent time in jail because of people who were opposed to Hasidim at the time and went to the Russian government and spoke against him. So he was always afraid of people. He knew he was being watched by the government and he was afraid of possible spies, you know, people. So he saw this crowd accompanying him. So he said to Rabbeinazal, could it be that there are Spiegers here, that there are... There are spouters, there are, there are spies here. So Rabbeinazal said to him jokingly, but they're not shpigarnen, they're not shpignarin. The word nar means a fool. Rabbeinazal put a spin on the word, he said, shpignarin, they're not, they're not fools. Meaning, they wouldn't be sick, they, they know how to keep a secret, and that these are not people who would go talk to the Russian government about you at all. You don't have to worry about that at all. So the Balatanya was in a, in a very happy mood. He had been welcomed and treated with such respect to Rabbi Nachman. So he commented, he said, just like Hashem helped me to overcome Peterberg, I believe that Hashem is going to help me also overcome Feter Baruch. Feter in Yiddish is uncle, uncle Baruch. 
and in Yiddish, Peterberg and Fetterborg are very similar, very close. He said, I was successful in, in Peterborg. I'm, I'm confident I'm going to succeed with Fetterborg, your uncle Baruch. In Peterborg was where he had been in prison, and they wanted to really give him a hard time. And in the end, on the 19th of Kislev, he was freed. And in Chabad, this is a major celebration, the day that the Balatanya got out of prison, because again, prison in those days, <coughs> under the czars, whoever was in charge, was a terrible, terrible place for a person to be. So Rabbeinu Zal commented to him, Rabbeinu Zal said, Peterburg, you might have overcome, but Fetterborg, and he shook his head, you know, implying you're not going to succeed there. Rabbein didn't tell him not to go. He didn't say, don't go. But he said, Peterberg, you overcame. Fetterborg, nope. And sure enough, unfortunately, he was not successful, the Balatanya. Unfortunately, things got worse. After he went to see him, things got even worse. Now, when he got to Tulchin, he went in to see the Rebbe Raboruch, and and Reborach was sitting at the time wearing tefillin. And the tefillin that he was wearing were tefillin that he had received were the tefillin of the Baal Shem Tov, of his grandfather. You could imagine what kind of a treasure this was. So the Balatanya stood there, Reborach was sitting, and he didn't invite him to sit down. He didn't say like you do normally for a guest, somebody standing, especially in a, a respectable person, you say, sit down. Reborah didn't, and, and he stood there for a while, and then he took a chair and sat down next to Reborah to speak to him. So Reborah looked at him and said, <coughs> Don't you have any respect for my grandfather's tefillin? <coughs> Implying, you know, what do you sit down for? So the Balatanya looked at him, <coughs> and he said, The tefillin are puzzle. The tefillin are not kosher. Now imagine what it takes to say something like that. And sure enough, Reborah took it off immediately, and they checked, and there was a letter missing. There was a letter missing. The letter Yud was missing. How? What? What? Here again, this is a, in terms of us, we're dealing with super giants, super giants. And Rabbi Nachman warns, warns, that when we see machloikis among super giants, don't get involved, and don't comment. You are not, we are not on any level whatsoever to comment on these things. We don't understand, we don't understand, but we know that these two especially were giants. The Rebbe Raboruch wrote, had many students, he wrote a Sefer, <clears throat> and he's one of the renowned people in the world of Hasidus, even though his nature was a certain type of nature. And the Balatanya at the same time also, we, we're hearing things that, that let us know that we're dealing with somebody on a very, very high level. Going back to what we mentioned earlier about the monies being sent from Chutzler to Eretz Yisrael, when Rabbi Nachman returned from Eretz Yisrael, there was a Shabbos, <coughs> a, a Shabbos Parshas Yisrael, where he was sitting with his students at the table, and the discussion came up at the table about this machloikas, about this major conflict among the leading tzaddikim, about monies being sent to Eretz Yisroel, who should be responsible and how and what. And then Rabbi Nachman gave a shir, which is chapter 
71 in Likute Maran, where he discussed this whole topic. He discussed the topic of Machlokes. He quoted the Gemara, which said <coughs> that there's a major difference between the rabbis in Eretz Yisroel and the rabbis outside of Eretz Yisroel. The rabbis in Eretz Yisroel are called Noyam. Noyam means sweetness. When they discuss Torah, it's done not in a in a not with not with by arguing, but rather each one trying to support the other one to assist. It's done with a sweetness. Whereas the rabbis of Chutzlar, it's outside of Eretz Yisrael, there it, the, the arguments are much tougher. And if you look actually in the versions of the Gemara, the Talmud Bavli, the Babylonian Talmud, and Talmud Yerushalmi, there's a very big difference in the style. Talmud Bavli, every page, boom, boom, kosher puzzle, tomei tohar, osur mutter, everything is an argument, everything. And in the Yerushalmi, it's not like that. There, there are disagreements, but it's, 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 it's not the same. And Rabbi Nezal then went on to speak about the tzedakah of Chutz Loretz versus the tzedakah of Eretz Yisroel, explaining what the differences are. And then he went on to say that just like when it came to the flood during the time of Noyach, we're told that the flood was only outside of Eretz Yisroel, <coughs> but some of the water splashed into Eretz Yisroel, meaning Eretz Yisroel was affected by it also. It wasn't like Chutz Loretz, but it was affected also. And he explains in this chapter that when the, when the, when the wisdom of Chutzloritz meets the wisdom of Eretz Yisroel, the purpose is for the wisdom of Eretz Yisroel to massage and perfect the wisdom of Chutzloritz. But sometimes, sometimes, unfortunately, the moichen of Chutzloritz are so powerful that they can even bring machlekes into Eretz Yisroel. And he was obviously referring to and explaining what was going on at that time. But as usual, he said a Torah, an incredible Torah, chapter 71 in the second half of Likut Imran, there's incredible explanations regarding every aspect of this. And then we have a prayer in Likut Etfilos on this, and Rav Nosanzal in Likut Elochus gives us maybe five chapters explaining, further clarifying this whole topic and everything related to it. Again, everything we're saying here is pretty much was culled from things that Reb Levi Yitzhak Bender told over that he heard from the rabbis of Chabad when he was in Russia, and, and in some of it coming from Sfarim. <coughs> One of the things that they told over in the name of the Balatanya, <coughs> there's a famous line in Tefillah, Kerachim of Albonim, just like a father has pity for his children, so too, Hashem, you are our Father in Heaven, have pity on us. <clears throat> and the Balatanya said, what, what does that mean, a father having pity on his kids? It means a father getting up in the morning before, before it's light outside and reciting a chapter of Tehillim for his kids. That's, that's having pity on your kids. An incredible important point. And I remember hearing one of the great rabbis in Breslov of the previous generation was Reb Shmuel Shapiro, Zechernevrocha. He lived here in Yerushalayim. He came originally from a Yerushalmi family, nothing to do with Hasidim. And he was learning in the famous yeshiva in Yerushalayim called Eitz Chaim at the time, which Reb Isser Zalman Meltzer was the Rosh Yeshiva. This is one of the top, top names in the Torah world in that generation. And then there were a group of young men in that yeshiva that became Breslovers. They became connected to Breslov, Rabbi Nachman. 
and the Rosh Yeshiva, Rabbi Sezalman Meltzer, who was not a Chassid and didn't hold from Hasidim, said that, that whoever made him a breast liver, they, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to get out of Gehenna. And Rabbi Shmuel Shapiro heard about this. He said they're not going to be able to get out because they're not going to get in in the first place. Nobody's going to have to take them out. Because unfortunately, there were and are many rabbis who are under the impression that when a person joins the Hasidim, they stop learning Torah. Yeah. Because originally, originally in the in earlier times, there was a, when Hasidim started during the time of the Baal Shem Tov, there was a tiny percentage of Jews who were very learned in Torah, and there was the rest of the Jewish nation. And the Baal Shem Tov was one of the giants who addressed both. He had students who were tremendous Tamid Chachamim, but he also included the people who were not so learned, included them and taught them how to, about the importance of tefillah and mitzvahs, and, and made them part of the Jewish nation in a very important, special way. Working people. So the impression that the, the, the learned ones had was, Hasidim don't learn, Hasidim can't learn, which, which wasn't true at all. Many of the Baal Shem Tov's Talmidim were giant. We see this, the books they wrote, the Sforim they wrote, quoting from all over the Torah, every facet of Torah, Gemara, Navi, Tanakh, everything. And in Rabbi Nachman's teachings, we see an incredible level of knowledge. <clears throat> but, but despite that, the, the, the difference was an incredible emphasis on tefillah. This Rabbi Shmuel Shapiro had 17 children, Many of them, I think maybe 10 boys or something like that, all of them religious. And somebody once said to him, like, how did you do this? How did you do this? And he said, I prayed very hard for my kids. To know that this is something people ask sometimes. Rabbi Nachman spoke about having his spite of this, talk to Hashem for an hour. I talk for three minutes and I'm finished. You know, I, I said, I spoke yesterday and the day, but you know, I, how, what am I supposed to come up with? This topic alone, if a person realizes there's a lot we can invest in praying, pleading with Hashem for our children, our grandchildren, our parents, our, you know, pleading each one individually, asking Hashem for what that person needs, you know, for Hashem to really have Rahmanas, because this is what it takes. Now, as the Gemara tells us, that the Sahara every day comes back new, new and, and more powerful. And the Gemara says, without divine assistance, you can't win. So it's made perfectly clear that this isn't something we're going to be able to handle ourselves with our own intellect, with our own money. I'm going to buy my ch people trying to do all kinds of... and leaving out the most important thing. The most important thing is that there are three parents, a father, a mother, and Hashem. Hashem puts in the most important part, the neshama. And Hashem wants to be included. How do we include him? by showing that we're included, by, by turning to him and saying, you're the leading parent of Inu Malkeinu. We need your help. We're not, there's no way we can do this without your help. There was, there was once a story that the Balatanya warned his students, as Rabbi Nachman did also, that in terms of studying commentaries, commentaries on the Chumash, commentaries on the prophets, <clears throat> that they should only study commentaries where it's known that these authors had Ruach HaKodesh. Not that they were intellectuals, they were people, holy people, holy people, and their commentaries were based on divine knowledge. So the students once asked them, what about the Bartanura, the famous 
Rabbeinu Avadya Mibar Tenura, which is one of the most well-known basic commentaries on Mishnayis. And he said, the Rav, the Baal Tenura, pure Ruach HaKodesh, pure Ruach HaKodesh, 100%. The Rabbeinu Avadya Mibar Tenura is buried here in Yerushalayim, not far from the Koisel Marovi. When a person goes out of the Koisel towards Harazesim, on the, on the lower part of, of Harazesim, that's where the Bartanur is buried. And for his yard site, there are many people that go there. He is one of the universally accepted, com- most authoritative and authentic commentaries on Mishnah, on Mishnais. When the Balatanya wrote his Shulchan Aruch, he wrote the Shulchan Aruch Harav, it's known, going through Orachayim, going through all the laws, <coughs> like the Mishnah Brura did, like many others did, and, and coming out with final decisions in many cases where there were controversies among the earlier rabbis as to what we follow, what we do. And when he, when he completed it, he brought it to his Rebbe, the Mizritcha Magid. <coughs> he wanted him to show it to him and to get his approval of it. And out of, fe- out of respect for the Magid, he didn't say anything to him, he put it down on the table near where the Magid was sitting. When the Magid arrived, he took it and he asked, who, who, who is, who, who wrote it, you know, who, who left this here? So the Balatanya said, I, I did. The Magid put it down and he didn't say anything further, he didn't discuss it further. Afterwards, <coughs> when the Balatanya left the Magid, going back to his house, on the, on, the, on the way, he stopped off at an inn that was owned by a Jew, and there were many other people staying at this inn. But the, the owner of the inn wasn't there. His wife was there. His wife, kids were there managing things. In the middle of the night, there was a tremendous commotion because one of the guests tried to attack the wife of the, the, the owner of the inn. She started screaming and fighting, and she grabbed his yarmulke, she grabbed his kippah off his head, <clears throat> and this guy knew that he doesn't have a yarmulke, everyone else does. It's going to be pretty easy now. Again, there's no electricity. We're talking about pre-electricity, pre-lights. There's total darkness. <clears throat> but he knows that they're going to be able to find out who this person was. So he quickly ran away, and he looked for somebody where he could find the keeper, somebody that was sleeping, and he grabbed that person's keeper and then went into his bed. He's sleeping. He's sleeping. He wasn't the guy. They went looking afterwards to see who doesn't have a keeper, and they saw the Balatanya didn't have a keeper, <clears throat> and they started screaming at him and cursing him. What did you do? You're not ashamed of yourself. And they started hitting him. And, and the Balatanya realized what was going on, you know, <clears throat> and he started screaming, It's not me! It's not me! <clears throat> And then they said, they said to him, what do you mean it's not you? Where's your yarmulke? <coughs> and he realized somebody must have taken it. So he told them that, I'll show you that it's not me. My yarmulke on the inside has a, a kamea. It has an amulet in it. You'll find, go looking to all the people who are wearing yarmulkes here. See, and he told them exactly where it is and what the amulet has in it. Go look at it and you'll, you'll see, you'll know it's mine. They went from person to person, and they discovered it. They discovered the the, the Amka. They realized it was his. And then they grabbed the real culprit and, and beat him up, you know, in an appropriate way. 
Now, when the Balatanya went back to his Rebbe, the Maggid, <coughs> the Maggid said to him, before, when I asked who, when I asked who, whose is this, you said, I, me, me. He said, you said me. Now you had to scream, not me, not me. In other words, this was a, this was a, a warning, in a sense, of, of being careful using that I word. There are people say, I went, my kids, I, my, I, all of that stuff. person needs to know that a religious person tries to avoid the I word. There's a famous Gemara in Chulin where the Gemara says that there were three giants of humility in the Torah. Avram Avinu, Dovod HaMelech, and Moshe Rabbeinu. And the Gemara says, if you'll take a look, you'll see that what it says about Moshe Rabbeinu is on a much higher level than the others. Avram Avinu said, I'm dust and ashes. Dovod HaMelech said, I'm a worm, I'm not a, I'm not a person. Moshe Rabbeinu said, we're nothing, we're nothing. So the Baal Shem asked, is there that much of a difference if a person could honestly say, I'm dust and ashes, or say I'm a worm, how much of a difference is there between that and saying I'm nothing, you know? And he said, people are reading that Gemara the wrong way. They're not getting the punchline. The punchline is that Avram Vinu said, I am dust and ashes. Dovod Amel said, I am a worm. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't use the I word. He said, we. When the Jews came screaming at him, you're the leader here. Why, we, don't, we, need, we don't have water. We have, yeah, where are he said, I'm the leader? We're nothing. We're nothing. My, my bro- everything was my brother and me. My brother and me. There wasn't any I. And it's brought that afterwards the Balatanya went. He left. He reviewed his whole She went through a whole other pass on the Shulchanor, reviewed it. And this is why there are two sets of his writings. On, he went over the whole Shulchan Aruch and wrote it over again after this incident. We should be zeichet to emunah tzaddikim, to believe in tzaddikim, to have respect for tzaddikim, and to have respect for all Jews. And in that school, see the, the tikkun, the final tikkun, the, the Beis Hamikdash, the exile we're in today is because of lack of respect among Jews. We should be zeichet by showing the proper respect to see the Binyan Beis Hamikdash, with the coming Shiap in Herab Yamenu, Amen Yamenu. We didn't finish, we covered a lot of it, there's still still more. Another opportunity. That's a shame.